Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for this amazing miracle which is about to happen. That as your people of faith gather around your word, and as your Holy Spirit anoints our hearts, you always have new light, new love, something new to share with us for our lives. And for this we thank you through Jesus. Amen. So once again this morning, we meet our dear friend Jacob when he is all alone and in a very, very dark place. Two Sundays ago, we met Jacob when he was alone on his first dark night at Bethel. You'll recall that he was a man on the run. He had just hoodwinked his father Isaac out of the blessing of his older brother, older by one second. He just enraged Esau to the point of wanting to kill his brother, fratricide. And he had just been sent away by his mother, Rebekah, in order to save his life. And it's on this first dark night that Jacob, alone and terrified, first encounters God in a mysterious and luminous dream. Afterward, Jacob exclaims, Surely God is in this place and I didn't know it! This place is the gate of heaven. You see, dear friends, we are most accessible to God and to each other, not in our times of success and perfection, but oftentimes in our times of greatest struggle, weakness, and vulnerability. God so graciously comes to Jacob precisely in his darkest hour to bless him with new purpose, new direction, a new sense of God's presence with him. During the next 20 years in this saga of a story, 400 miles away in faraway Haran, Jacob the trickster now meets his match in his uncle Laban. I love this story. And now he discovers what it feels like to be tricked, to be duped, to be cheated. Doesn't feel very good, does it? I mean, first, Laban puts his, his older daughter uh, Leah in Jacob's bridal bed instead of the younger Rachel. 
And so Jacob has to work now 14 years instead of 70 to marry the woman he fell for so completely that the first time he met her, he started sobbing and then he kissed her. You can look it up. I don't know how that felt for her. Oh, and then Uncle Laban also changes Jacob's wages ten different times. And you get the great feeling that these were not raises. Right? So maybe you're thinking, well, you know, it's after all of this that Jacob finally begins to see the error of his own deceitful ways, right? No. Like Pigpen in the Peanuts cartoon, a cloud of not dust but treachery seems to follow Jacob wherever he goes. He now tricks his Uncle Laban right back with a creative livestock breeding program that leaves his uncle with all the feeble sheep and you-know-who with all the healthy ones. And then, after God calls Jacob to return home to the land of his birth, what does his household do but steal all of Laban's household idols on their way out the door. That's another thing that we could unpack for a long time. All of Laban's household idols. Now, amidst all of this trickery, there is some humor. When Laban pursues the Jacob household, and finally catches up with them, he demands to search Rachel's camel bag, which, by the way, she is sitting on. But she tells him she can't get up because it's that time of the month. And if you don't believe that, it's Genesis 31-35. Her line actually works, and Laban goes on his way. Soon after all of these events, in today's reading, we meet Jacob on his second dark night. In fact, in the defining crisis of his life. Tonight he is camped out beside the Jabbok River with his family and his flocks on the other side. And it is finally now that Jacob's days of getting away with absolutely everything in his life seem to finally be over. Because he's just heard that his brother Esau is heading his way with 400 men in tow News that leaves Jacob completely distressed and terrified. Now think of this. Jacob has had 20 years to think about what's going to happen when he meets the brother who wanted to kill him. 
And so, once again, tonight, just as at Bethel, he's all alone in a very, very dark place. Friends, we've been in this dark place ourselves, haven't we? I mean, when a relationship has been deeply strained or ruptured, when our physical or mental well-being begin to diminish or even to vanish, when we don't know how we're going to be able to pay that next bill, when we've broken the trust of those whom we love most, when our old ways of being in our own skin or connecting with God, which used to bring us much joy, now leave us feeling strangely empty. Or when we're overwhelmed by the levels of insanity and hatred in our world right now. Nuclear brinkmanship all week. And then bloodshed in Charlottesville yesterday. I think we know what it's like to be in this dark place with Jacob. And it's at that dark moment when Jacob is most vulnerable that his wrestling match with an unknown and unnamed stranger begins. It's an all-night struggle that requires him to draw on reserves of inner strength, of energy and willpower that I think he probably never thought he had. It's also a costly and deeply wounding encounter, isn't it? His opponent, seeing that he won't be able to beat Jacob, strikes him on the hip and gives him a limp that he'll now have for the rest of his life. This past week, I had a fascinating uh, conversation with Craig Dallin who was, if you didn't know it, an accomplished wrestler, both in high school and in college. I uh, googled him, and I found that he wrestled in the 157-pound class. I guess he doesn't weigh one or two pounds more than that now, still. Craig told me that nothing in his life has ever integrated the mental and the physical together more than anything else than wrestling. He also said, and I think this is so fascinating, that no other sport is more close up and more intimate than wrestling. With no space of the body, or of the soul off-limits. By the end of a match, you really know your opponent, right? And they really know you. 
So this begs the question in today's story, who exactly is Jacob's opponent? Our text is fuzzy on this, intentionally fuzzy about who this adversary really is. Is it another man? Well, verse 24 says that a man wrestles with Jacob until daybreak. Or is it perhaps an angel? As it says elsewhere in the Bible in Hosea 12.4, and as you see on your bulletin cover? Or is it his brother Esau? As one Jewish commentator suggests, who has come to finish the wrestling match that began with his mother or with his brother in his mother's womb. Or is Jacob wrestling with himself, as we all do, with his own deceitful and false self? And finally coming to grips with who he has been in his life so far. Or is Jacob really wrestling with God? Friends, I I wonder if the answer to all five questions might be yes. Yes. Our Lord Jesus, after all, later on helps us to see how much our relationships with God and neighbor and ourselves are inextricably intertwined, right? In today's story, we see this fascinating progression from thinking that we're just wrestling with another human being to realizing that we've been wrestling actually with God. And so at the end of his all-night struggle, Jacob names this place Peniel because he has seen God face to face. This all-night wrestling match, he suddenly realizes, has become his gate of heaven. And then right after our story today, we see this same progression again, another time, when Jacob is received by his brother Esau, Not with violence, not with bloodshed, but with astonishing grace and loving kindness and kisses. And what does Jacob exclaim there? To see your face is like seeing the face of God. Again, there is this sense of encountering a human being, but also... Meeting God. Over the years, I've preached many sermons on the importance of letting go of past grudges, letting go of regrets, and whatever is separating us from God. Let it go. And to approach life with open hands. Of course, then the uh, Disney movie Frozen came along. 
and uh, enshrine this in a song. Let it go. How many times have you heard that song in the last four years? <laughs> and if any of you are wanting to, feeling the tug to sing it right now, please restrain yourself. But the interesting thing is that our story today teaches us that there is actually something, or more accurately, someone whom we should never let go of, and whom we should always hold on to in our times of struggle and crisis, and this is God. In our story, Jacob says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Jacob refuses to let go until he receives the blessing, the fruit of his struggle. God then not only blesses Jacob, but gives him a brand new name, a brand new identity, Israel which means one who has wrestled or struggled with God, Jacob's new name, in effect, is Scrapper with God. Scrapper with God. The poet Jan Richardson puts it this way. If this blessing were easy, anybody could claim it. But as it is, it will take much work. This is the blessing that visits you in the struggling, in the wrestling, in the striving. This is the blessing that comes after you have left everything behind, after you have stepped out, after you have crossed over into that realm beyond every landmark you have ever known. This is the blessing, this is the blessing, this is the blessing that's going to take you all night to find. So sisters and brothers, in our darkest and hardest times, as individuals and as a congregation, let us learn to say, with our dear friend Jacob, Lord, we're not letting go until you bless us. Friends, we live now in times of great, great wrestling. When everything familiar, everything that we've long taken for granted in our world, in our nation, in our denomination, in our church, all seem to be crumbling and falling apart. Amen? Sure feels that way, doesn't it? Amidst all of this disorienting change right now, it might seem to you absolutely absurd to hear the call to hold on to God until we are blessed. But remember... That it is God's blessing that enables Jacob to finally see God's image in the one whom he has hated and feared for almost his whole life, his brother Jacob, or his brother Esau. We also 
need that kind of blessing, don't we? To see the image of God in the other, doesn't our world? I've been thinking a lot this week about what actually is a blessing? I mean, when we invite Christine and Caleb up here in a few minutes and wish for them God's blessing, are we just wishing for them good luck and to have a happy life? Is that what we're doing every Sunday when we bless people? No. God's blessing comes in many shapes and forms. But at rock bottom, it's always God's empowerment for us to love our neighbor, to love ourselves, and to love God in some fuller and deeper way. Sometimes, God even blesses our area of greatest brokenness and transforms it into a unique giftedness for loving and serving others. So friends, let us hold on to God. Trusting that God is also hiddenly holding on to us and giving us the strength not just to survive, but to emerge stronger, wiser, more loving, and more fully ourselves. Let us also trust that with God, even our wounds, even our places of deepest brokenness, can become the stimulus to incredible growth in us and blessing to others. Amen.